is uh, John Paulson uh, for, for Fantasy Football, and I'm your host today on the Most Accurate Podcast. Uh, this is the first of a series of What We Learned podcasts that I'd like to do this offseason, have some of my favorite fantasy analysts, friends in the industry come on, discuss the 2023 fantasy season, what they learned, things that we should start thinking about as we get into our 2024 draft strategy, the draft, all that. Uh, and this week we have Pat Fitzmorris, former 444 colleague, uh, the 2020 Fantasy Pro's most accurate expert. And that win might have got you this job at Fantasy Pro's, Pat. Congratulations with that job change over there. It's great to have you on. And fellow fellow Packer fan, I think that's probably the most important thing. Uh, th- thanks for coming on, Pat. Yes, John. Uh, one of my favorite people in the industry. Always great to talk to you. And yes, fellow Packers fan, fellow Southeastern Wisconsin native. Um, yeah, just uh, we've known each other for a long time and it's always good to catch up, especially in the off season uh, or at least the off fantasy season when the pace isn't quite as crazy for us. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thought it'd be a good opportunity, uh, you know, between the or you know around the the, the real play, real NFL playoffs, the NFC AFC championship games, the Super Bowls to be talking about the season, reflecting on it a little bit. Something I always mean to do after the season, and then we get into January and February. I'm just like I don't want to do I don't want to do anything related really, really to fantasy for about a month. Uh, not complaining about my job, love my job, of course. Uh, so for you. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is our uh, point per first down league. Pat's going to be one of the founding members. Uh, I have, you know, I just turned 50 this year, Pat, and I've been thinking about my, it was actually last year. I've been thinking about my legacy a little bit. And one of the things I'd like to do is I'm not going to, I'm not going to say I'm going to be able to kill PPR, but I would like to really promote point per first down as a viable, better uh, alternative PPR. I think people play in PPR leagues. They like the extra scoring so they're just used to it and they want to stick with it. And they, you know, even when I bring up PP uh, first down, they, you know, say, well, I like half that half PP first down and half point per uh, reception. I'm just like, just cut the cord point per first down. You're actually accomplishing something on the field. Give them a point for that. Give them two points if you want, if you like the scoring. So can you talk a little bit about your feelings on PPR uh, and comparing that and contrasting that to uh, point per first down? I think our stances are pretty similar, John, and maybe it's uh, being on the wrong side of 50 that makes us cranky and <laughs> anti-point per first or point per reception. Um, I mean, I guess I've always hated the idea that a one-yard catch is worth more than a 10-yard run. And that's like obviously the extreme example. Um, and I, like, I think the intention of PPR is noble. I, I think it is the thing that people probably most like about it is it helps iron out some of the touchdown variants. Because if you don't have PPR, um, those spike years, the Raheem Mostert touchdown seasons can be really um, especially impactful. Um, and like in a couple of our leagues, and I, I don't expect this to ever take hold as like a standard across the industry, but we do that by making touchdowns worth less. We make touchdown Passes worth two and runs and catches worth four, but I, I think some people would be uh, have their minds blown by that and would never get their 
their arms around it. But um, yeah, I just, I understand the desire to iron out touchdown variants because receptions are predictable, more predictable than touchdowns. And I get that. We want to take the luck factor out of fantasy as much as possible. And a lot of people feel PPR does that, but I just don't like that. It sort of discriminates against certain types of players, the in-between tackle uh, tackles, early down thumpers, but Hey, if those guys get 1300 yards doing that, they should be equally rewarded um, as a running back who maybe gets 700 rushing yards and 600 receiving yards to get to 1300. And like, I don't Gabe Davis and Josh Downs, for instance, I think provide roughly similar types of value as, as players to their teams, but just in very different ways and PPR certainly swings the pendulum toward Josh Downs and away from someone like Gabe Davis, who uh, is more of a big play guy and doesn't rack up a lot of receptions. I think when I was uh, studying this a few years ago, about 70% or thereabouts uh, of receptions resulted in a first down. So a lot of the PPR scoring, you're going to retain a lot of that with the with the receivers. It does boost running back scoring uh pretty significantly uh but i think it i think we're going to also play a little bit with the uh positional requirements to make things interesting maybe a super flex maybe two tight ends to to really make an interesting uh league where you know every position has its own importance but either based on the scoring or by the uh scarcity of position based on the uh, position uh, positional requirements so as we get into more of that i'll uh talk about that in the podcast and hopefully we can uh i think the biggest thing that uh fantasy uh, managers the biggest question i they have when i talk about point per first down is well they're, they're like well, what platforms allow this and there are actually quite a few now that have point per first down as a as a uh scoring setting so we'll discuss that too and we'll have to figure out where we're going to host our league pat uh maybe i'll reach out to the different platforms and see if anybody's interested in offering up a small prize for us to to play on their platform we'll see uh so I have more, more on that as we get into the offseason. So let's the first thing we're going to do is talk about the there's five things here that Pat uh, brought to my attention, the things that he learned. And we're going to talk about those. And then after that, uh, we're going to do a, a semi-deep dive, I would think, on the 2023 Packer season since we are both Packer fans. We DM pretty frequently during the games uh, as things are happening on the field. So if you don't want to hear that, and I had a few followers listeners last time we did this deep dive uh, complained about the all the packers talk you just press this pause or stop button on your podcast and you don't ever have to, don't have to listen to the rest of the podcast uh, we won't talk much fantasy in that segment so just keep that in mind as we get into it all right pat what is the first thing that you wanted to talk about in terms of things that you learned during the 2023 fantasy season well, first, can i ask john where a lot of those complainers from the uh chicago and minneapolis oh. areas <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, somebody, I remember a couple people just said that should never happen again. I'm like, well, you don't have to listen to it. Nobody forced you to keep your ears open as as that podcast played. You can just turn it off. All right, let's, uh, yeah, let's get to the more wide ranging stuff that applies to everyone. And so I guess my first lesson, and this was maybe one that was learned years earlier, but just sort of reinforced after perhaps a bit of an outlier season was that waiting on quarterback is still the way to go in one QB leagues. And I think 2022 threw a bit of a curveball at people and, and maybe 
gave us the idea that going for a quarterback early was a more viable strategy because 2022, we saw extraordinarily good seasons from Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. And it was not a great season for the middle class of quarterbacks. So there was kind of a big gap between those three and everyone else. Um, and like America itself, John, I think the quarterback position is at its most prosperous when there is a large and thriving middle class. And it seems as if we have that now. Um, plus, we we didn't get the great seasons, obviously, from Patrick Mahomes. Um, we didn't get a maybe we got a superficially good season from Jalen Hurts, but it was really buoyed by his touchdown runs. And uh, he, he took some sort of alarming steps backward as a passer. But um now we've got this teeming middle class, uh, CJ Stroud and Jordan Love, who have emerged as above average NFL starters in their first years as starters. Anthony Richardson, who only, I think, completed two games, but on a per snap basis, Anthony Richardson scored 20% more fantasy points per snap than Josh Allen, who led the NFL in uh, fantasy scoring at the quarterback position. Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, uh, Justin Fields, uh, Brock Purdy, Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, uh, and, and now we're getting these guys coming into the league. Like Caleb Williams might knock on the door of, of quarterback one value right away. I think Drake May and Jaden Daniels could be like QB twos in fantasy in year one and possibly even surprise us and and give us something close to QB1 value. So there's a lot of depth. I mean, in my preseason rankings, Tua Tungavailoa is QB16. So I think that just shows the depth at the position. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I think for me, it's going to mean waiting at quarterback because I'm really happy with the choices after like 10 or 11 quarterbacks are off the board. I Agree, and I also with a, with a caveat, I I looked uh, at my draft day strategy article to sort of see who I was targeting as a reminder. Sometimes I want to block these things out. Uh, I tend to have some hits, and then I also have some misses, some bad misses at times. So, uh, but it's it's good to reflect on this and to maybe learn. Okay, why was I on this player, uh, and why did he fail? And you know, is this a, is this repeatable or is this an avoidable mistake? Um, you know, I had I had as the big three, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Uh, the next five, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence. And there were some ups and downs there with that group, uh, mostly due to injury, I would say, um, you know, with Lawrence and uh, Burrow. Uh, Herbert had some extraneous factors working against him with, you know, his, his receiving core. Uh, but he did not finish very well in terms of his scoring. Uh so I would say, yes, late round quarterback can certainly still work. And I, I think I wrote in the article, uh, you know, is it is late round quarterback dead? And I didn't I don't think so. Uh, but the guys that I targeted, a couple of them didn't pan out very well. Geno Smith, I thought would have a much better year with Jackson Smith and Jigba in the fold. Uh, at least repeat what he did last year or the previous year, 2022. Uh, with a better receiving core, but he sort of had an up and down season, had some good games, but also some very bad ones. Uh, Daniel Jones got injured and he wasn't uh, as good as he was the previous year, uh, despite having a, a mostly healthy receiving core and an improved receiving core with Darren Waller. Uh, but Anthony Richardson was my third 
one of the three late round targets and he was obviously fantastic uh especially from a rushing standpoint but he got injured as well and then my late round guy then i also had aaron Rodgers who tore his uh what tore his achilles in the you know first play of the game or whatever it was uh but my very late round quarterbacks were sam howell who was great for three quarters of the season from a fantasy standpoint top 10 uh receiver and then brock purdy who obviously uh, he's, you know, finished pretty strong. He had, he has the number eight point per game average this year. Uh, and you know, we were worried about him perhaps not being ready to go at the start of the season, but he finished QB six in total fantasy points. So what, I, what I'm saying with all that is that the guys that are late round that pop into the top 10 are an interesting group because I don't think, I mean, I think Purdy people were on because of his, you know, per game scoring the you know, in his, in his starts for the 49ers previous seasons, but Jordan love at QB five, I don't think anybody was expecting him to be the fantasy QB five this year. So, you know, why would they draft him? You know, maybe in a best ball in a, in a three, two, two quarterback sort of committee, people were drafting him. There was a few, um, you know, lay rounder, you know, articles with him as a potential guy, uh, Jared Goff at seven, not shocking. I mean, it's a good offense, but he's a pocket passer. Uh, we weren't necessarily looking as fantasy managers. We're not necessarily looking for for pocket passers. I mean, a few of them are fine if they have these type of seasons where they have thirty plus touchdowns and are throwing for two seventy. That's fine. And he was pretty much good at home or great at home, and then it's kind of mediocre on the road. Uh, and then C.J. Stroud at nine. I mean, I did not see that coming at all. I did pick him up in my long-running keeper league uh, i managed i had some issues at quarterback with gino so i picked up stroud and was like well you know if this first couple of weeks are for real then this is you know this is worth a pickup here and now and then by the end of the year he was starting for me every week and then baker mayfield at 10 so <laughs> the late round it makes sense but then who is like who was legitimately th- i mean there was a I, I do know that there were some stroud backers uh i knew do you know that there were some golf backers just based on the offense that the the lines run pretty for sure but love mayfield i don't think i don't think the too many fantasy analysts were on these players as oh these guys are going to finish as qb ones this year no in standard like 16 rounds one qb drafts i think love and mayfield probably slid entirely through the cracks and went undrafted in a lot of those yeah so it'll be interesting going into next year. What you know, how the how these rankings shape up. Your your initial uh, ranking of Tua at sixteen. I haven't done any twenty twenty four rankings yet, but that certainly raises eyebrows in terms of you know how good he was. QB eleven on the year. Uh, QB, you know, he was uh, he was, but he was. Let's see, from week nine on, he was QB twenty. Yeah. I guess that's part of my concern. It doesn't really offer any rushing value. Still has maybe those underlying concussion concerns, although it was nice to see him get through a full season without missing a game. Um, but yeah, and like I think I've got Goff one spot below him, John. And this is uh, not because I'm going crazy drafting the rookie. I do have Caleb Williams at QB 15, but the fact that you could wait and maybe get Goff or, or Caleb Williams at QB 17. Uh, as like maybe a backup in a, a one QB league where um, the culture is to draft backups or where it's like a 20 round draft and everyone drafts a backup. 
like the the depth here is just extraordinary. Like Baker Mayfield finished QB ten, and he's not even in my top eighteen. I don't think. Yeah, a few things on the point per game aspect of it, and that's the reason I mentioned Tua is that he's he finished QB eleven, but that's because he played seventeen games, which was the concern you know heading into the season with him and his concussion. On a per game basis, fifteen point nine fantasy points in our in our scoring at four for four. That's that's QB twenty one. He scored fewer points than Jake Browning, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, what Russell Wilson, uh, Justin Herbert, Anthony Richardson, obviously, CJ Stroud, obviously. But if you just look at per game stats and assuming these players are all going to play about the number, same number of games, uh, he's way down there as a QB two. So the depth is there, as you mentioned. And it's interesting to see Patrick Mahomes, who's coming on now, but not crazy. He's a QB 14 on a per game basis. So that's that's the, the Mahomes ranking next year will be very, very, very interesting, I think. Yeah. Uh, are you where do you lean on that? I mean, I guess for me it's going to depend a lot on do they add a wide receiver in the draft? And I, I tend to think that that's probably where they're going to spend their late first round pick. Someone like Xavier Worthy from Texas or Keon Coleman from Florida State, who who might be around that portion of the draft. And also, like, I just want to make sure Travis Kelsey doesn't retire. I, I don't think he's going to, but, um, you know, I'll be a little relieved once we get maybe a month past the Chiefs' last game. And if he has not announced his retirement, uh, just, just want to make sure that he doesn't decide to go out with his brother and uh, conquer the sports media world together as a brother tandem so because yeah, if he if he was going to retire then it would be really interesting to see where people had patrick mahomes ranked for 2024 yeah i don't know if you heard but he's dating taylor swift too so this is a oh know, really he's, he's yeah he's got uh the girlfriend who's uh a media mogul so we'll see he had he averaged 11.5 fantasy points per game after 15 plus last year so there definitely was you know, we thought maybe there was a drop-off happening last year. It didn't happen. It happened a little bit this year. He ended up as the tight end three because he missed a couple games behind uh, Sam Laporta and Evan Ingram. But that brings us to our second thing that you learned, Pat. Uh, if you're ready to move on to that, the tight end position. Uh, what do you think of that heading into 2024? Yeah, good segue, John. And uh, perhaps this is more of a simple observation than something I, I learned, but I do think the tight end position has unprecedented depth for fantasy purposes. And I am sort of wary of being the boy who cried wolf on this because the fantasy football community has gotten snookered before into believing that there was adequate tight end depth in recent years. And, and then it basically would turn out to be Travis Kelsey and maybe Mark Andrews and George Kittle. And that was about it. But now we have Kelsey Andrews Kittle, Sam Laporta had a great rookie season. It might be some people's tight end one next year. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, sort of an uneven, but ultimately very promising rookie season. Trey McBride and Jake Ferguson gave us really nice second year breakouts. Uh, Evan Engram gave us a second straight, very good fantasy season. David Njoku turned into a freaking monster. We just have to see if he can do it with someone other than Joe Flacco playing quarterback because I don't think Flacco starts for the Browns in week one next year. Uh, Kyle Pitts is going to get a new play caller who can perhaps tap into his potential. 
Brock Bowers is going to be a top 10 tight end this year. Like I, I think he's maybe the best tight end prospect we've seen since boy, since I don't know when Mike Ditka. I mean, like we've had some really good tight ends, but I don't know if they were as heralded coming out of college as Brock Bowers is. Um, TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. He probably starts the season on IR, but you know, he's TJ Hawkinson and eventually he's going to be doing his thing again. Dallas Goddard, Cole Komet, Darren Waller, Dalton Schultz, Pat Fryermuth. Those guys are all tight end twos for next year. And then we've got young guys who could potentially take a big step up if things break their way, like the two Packers, Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft, uh, Chigo Conquo, Michael Mayer, Isaiah Likely. So, John, when you mentioned that our, our new league might be a two tight end thing, most years I would be aghast at uh, thinking about that and and wondering who my second tight end might be. But next year, I think we could actually do that and not uh, have people horrified and like reaching for tight ends just because they're going to run out so quickly. Yeah, it'll be, it would be interesting to have a two tight end league uh, in general, just because you get some weird starts. Like you get some, you know, <laughs> you get some, you know, Noah Fant in there uh, every as an every week starter for somebody who who didn't think about the, the two tight end requirement or Durham Smythe or Adam Troutman. I think that's kind of fun, especially if one of those players goes off in any particular week. We'll just certainly discuss it. It's up for discussion. The the interesting thing about the tight end position this year, um, looking back at draft day strategy, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate usually for early round tight end. And, you know, Kelsey did fine. Uh, Andrews did fine until his injury uh, was up there in terms, in terms of points per game. Uh, but as you alluded to, uh, and, and Hawkinson as well, uh, as you alluded, the that, that top tier, even if you look at a points per game standpoint, Sam Laporta, who, um, you know, th- those those folks who drafted him and were targeting him, kudos to you. I could not get over the fact that a, a rookie tight end almost never delivers, even if he has a starting job. Like I, I did mention him in the article as he's already starting, and I think that was that's the sign that you're kind of looking for in the in August is how much playing time are they going to get immediately? And he was immediately in that very high snap rate uh, in a very good offense. Um, And I wanted to, one thing I thought about with Jared Goff, I want to go back to it for a moment with, with Goff, he was so good at home. His home way splits are always pretty stark. It's almost to, to me where if you can get him as the QB 17 off the board and pair him with somebody whose schedule is favorable when he's on the road, that you could have a pretty good quarterback by committee. It was the Drew Brees uh, play that I advocated a while back when he, you know, Drew Brees is so good in the Superdome, and then on the road he was kind of mediocre. Um, that's that's something I'm going to be thinking about this offseason uh, in terms of getting value at quarterback uh, with Goff plus somebody else. Anyway, uh, Laporta finishing tight end one, kind of out of nowhere. I would say that, you know, if, I think in our best case bullish case standpoint in August, I don't know if you agree like maybe you could see him in the in the tight end five to tight end eight range uh, with assuming everybody else stays healthy, which we did lose some players. Um, so he's fantastic. He's obviously a top five guy, top three guy moving forward. Kelsey Hawkinson, Andrews Kittle. That's our the next four that are typically together. Engram had a great year. Komet would be interesting with a new quarterback potentially. He's pretty good with Justin Fields, as you mentioned. Um, and Joku, what's the quarterback situation there? He just tore it up with Joe Flacco, but really not as good with Watson, who's, I guess, the starter still there. 
Jake Ferguson, one of my late round mentions, uh, had a good year, although he was a little bit quiet at the end of the year. So, as you mentioned, lots of depth. It will be interesting looking at, I'm just scrolling down. You mentioned Musgrave and, and uh, Tucker Craft. Now, that one's going to be tough because I think those two might cancel each other out. We had Musgrave at the start, and he was seeing most of the, most of the snaps. Kraft was playing kind of part-time role, and then Musgrave got injured, and then that's when Kraft really took off. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that those two are going to have that sort of upside that perhaps uh, Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, Hernandez had uh, with the Patriots. But that, we can maybe talk about that during the Packers section. I don't know. Interesting, interesting take there with the tight end position. So let's talk about your third. If you're ready to move on, the Falcons. The assumption of rational coaching. Yes, I think we maybe fell into that trap. Uh, of, of making, and this is a famous, I, I have to give cr- credit where credit is due. This is Sigmund Bloom's, uh, one of his patented phrases, uh, the assumption of rational coaching, which is something that we do all too often, assume that coaches are going to use their best players in a logical way. And uh, with Arthur Smith, I don't know if there's been a coach who defied the assumption of rational coaching quite to the extent that Arthur Smith did. I mean, at one point deep into the season, Tyler Algier had more carries than B. John Robinson. Uh, I, I think Jonu Smith might have had more targets than Kyle Pitts at some point at midseason. Um, Drake London, a guy I invested pretty heavily in last year, was, was kind of a whiff who, boy, even though who was the second best uh, Falcons wide receiver this year at, at points, I guess it would have been what Van Jefferson or um, I mean, uh, Scotty Miller, like they had no one there. They had Drake London is the only viable receiver and he's still underachieved from a fantasy perspective. So um, it, it didn't help of course, that the quarterback play was not great, that the Falcons were truly one of the have nots at quarterback this year, but boy, the, disappointing usage in Bijan Robinson, Drake London, and Kyle Pitts. I know it's going to encourage me to take a harder look at the play callers, I think, when I am preparing for 2024 drafts. London finished uh, wide receiver 39. I think he was being drafted in that 20 to 30 range, depending on the part of the offseason. So definitely a disappointing season for him. He was he also finished quietly. He had some good games on the first half of the season and the middle of the season, but uh, right down the stretch there, I'm just looking at his last four games, 2.4, 5.4, 7.6, 6.1, and half PPR. Just a disappointing finish for him. You were wondering who the number two receiver in Atlanta was from a fantasy standpoint. Matt Collins was the name you were looking oh. for, 34. <laughs> 34 <laughs> fantasy points for Matt Collins. Uh, I, on the on the flip side, okay, so the assumption of rational coaching, um, Arthur Smith, I think – the tight end depth thing also plays into this. It's a little bit with Lucy and the football. Uh, we've, we've, you know, we put the, the football is the tight end depth. We, we think we have a, de- a deep position. And by the end of the year, it's three or four guys that actually made a difference at the tight end position. Arthur Smith, you think he's going to, uh, you know, use Bijan Robinson as much as he should throughout the entire season, use Drake London, use Kyle Pitts uh, effectively. And instead we have Johnny Smith leading multiple games and receiving and fantasy points scored interesting team though with smith gone now uh if they can get a quarterback 
to sort of buy into specifically London because I think he's good, but also Pitts, uh, Bijan for sure. Bijan is going to go early regardless, but I think London people are probably, some of them are done with London. A lot of people are done with Pitts and may not sort of look at that play caller aspect of it and how much better things should be if we do have a rational coach in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I, I know in this year's drafts, John, I wound up getting the number four pick in like a disproportionate share of them. And I was really kind of torn between Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. This was usually assuming that uh, the, the top three was Christian McCaffrey, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in some order. And I was torn between Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey and Bijan Robinson because I had seen a lot of Bijan in college and I was just completely sold on the talent. So I kind of with with all these drafts where I was picking fourth, I sort of spread my bets. Uh, obviously, I was happiest with the Tyreek Hill teams. Um, Travis Kelsey, I, I think, did his part for a lot of the season before sort of fading. And, uh, you know, Bijan, I, I regretted, but it, it wasn't because of Bijan. Like, I, I think he's probably, because of this year, going to go in the latter part of the first round in most 1QB drafts next year. And I think he realistically should still be going right around the middle or, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in that territory. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I like you, I still believe Drake London is very good and and probably is going to have some wide receiver one finishes in his future and by that i mean you know one through 12 not necessarily overall number one kyle pitts maybe i think we found out that in addition to um well i can't remember if it was a tear i think it was an mcl tear last year uh that there was also lcl damage so maybe he was just never quite physically right this season and that contributed to it but um it's still a pretty extraordinary player and if there's a, a play caller who schemes him up and finds suitable ways to use him i think he does have like top five tight end potential like i'm i'm still very sold on his talent yeah you can see it when he's healthy and able to play i just we just we just not have have not seen him featured in that offense at any consistent consistent level uh, since he's been in the league, it's, it's, right. and, then, and then you have the John U. Smith stuff happening, you know, that's all happening this year. It's just, it, it is Lucy in the football <laughs> with the Falcons, with Arthur Smith, uh, as Lucy, uh, fantasy production is the football, I guess, in this metaphor, uh, Bijan, uh, you know, I'm removing uh, week 18 here from the, the fantasy points, but he finished running back 20 on a per, per, uh, per game basis. And was RB12, uh, just pure fantasy points. Those numbers are a little bit better if you include Week 18. Um, he played uh, 16 games of the 16 that you could play if you just exclude weeks, Week 18. So it wasn't like he was uh, boosted a whole lot, or I guess he wasn't real productive on a per-game basis. It was more he was healthy the entire year. Had some really weird games, uh, Bijan. The negative, I guess he had that game where he sat because of a migraine, 0. 0.4 points in that game. So I'm sure if you remove that, you remove the Tampa game where he had one carry for three yards and played 17% of the snaps, uh, his per-game numbers are going to jump up pretty significantly uh, if you if you start to pick and choose. Some of these games where maybe Arthur Smith had a heavy hand and 
doing some weird stuff. <laughs> I don't know. This is an interesting offense. If we get an interest, you know, a good offensive coordinator, head coach, uh, offensive mind, and we can get a quarterback there in Atlanta. That's 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 probably the biggest thing for the Falcons, right? Yeah. Um, like I see that as being an attractive possible landing spot for Justin Fields if the Bears do deal him, or maybe uh, Kirk Cousins to sign in free agency, a dude who slings it around pretty aggressively. So. Yes, by all means, uh, just as long as we don't have to watch Desmond Ritter play quarterback anymore, I'll be I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, Cousins, I think six or seven in per game scoring last year, just FYI, before the injury. Uh, draft capital, your, your next thing that you learned, we have two more from Pat. Draft capital doesn't matter a whole lot with Sean McVay. You do not have to have draft pedigree or even above average speed to be uh, extremely impactful in Sean McVay's offense. And we saw that with two players, John, quite possibly the two. Well, actually, it's pretty inarguable that they were the two most valuable waiver wire pickups of the year. I suppose maybe Kyron Williams was drafted in some leagues, but I don't think Puka Nakua was drafted in most leagues. Uh, And those guys were just very highly impactful, obviously this year, um, both fifth round picks, both guys who ran four, six, something at the combine, uh, John, I can remember watching the running backs run at the combine two years ago, seeing Kyron Williams run his four, six, seven, whatever it was, some, some sundial time, uh, and, and like basically scratching him off my list. Like, okay, I'm, there's a guy I'm not drafting in, in dynasty or redraft probably ever. But the funny thing was, I, I actually did have him in a couple of leagues this year, just based on reports that he was looking good in training camp and getting a good number of reps and, uh, kind of wanting to be in on, whoever was going to be the back in a a Sean McVay offense, because obviously Todd Gurley provided a lot of value during his heyday. But like even last year in spurts, we saw uh, Daryl Henderson pretty valuable at times. Um, And I I didn't want to put all the bet. Like I made some bets on Cam Akers, but I, after getting burned on Cam Akers in uh, 2022, I wanted to spread the bets around a little bit. So I, I drafted some Kyron Williams and, not surprisingly, those teams wound up doing really well. Uh, Puka, I didn't have anywhere. I, I just like did not see that coming, even though some of my colleagues at Fantasy Pros, like Thor Nystrom, who's our college football and draft analyst, uh, and, and Derek Brown, had gone to the Senior Bowl last year and were very uh, impressed by Puka there. So I'm going to listen to what those guys say when they come back from the Senior Bowl and I'm not going to dismiss out of hand the guys who run a four six, at least not if they're on the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Uh, even with Cooper Cup back, so just looking at the games with Cooper Cup, Puka finished uh, wide receiver nine uh, on a total fantasy points basis. He was wide receiver twelve on a per game basis. So he his production did drop a bit with Cup back, which is to be expected, but it didn't fall off a cliff by any means. He and he outscored. Uh, Cooper Cup in that span by a fairly wide margin, which is a little bit surprising, I think. Uh, but maybe we're looking at a gimpy cup and a healthy Puka, but maybe we just have seen the changing of the guard there for the Rams. And uh, Kyron uh, finished running back four, uh, playing only 12 games. 
uh, and was number two in point per game, 19.9 uh, half PPR fantasy points per game. I think you can make a case for either of these guys as the fantasy MVP based on their draft capital, such that it was, and uh, their results on the field and how they performed even down the stretch uh, in the fantasy playoffs, et cetera. So pretty impressive that that both those players came from the same team. Very unusual to, to sort of have that happen as well. And we have one more uh, things that you learned before we get on to a, a big Packer deep dive. Uh, it has to do with a, a certain Chicago receiver. Are we talking about the Bears? Yes, uh, since we're going to talk Packers and um, drive the Bears fans crazy, John, we might as well throw the Bears fans a bone. Um, DJ Moore is even better than I thought. I, I learned that in 2023, and I already liked him quite a bit. Um, Moore has now gone over 1,100 receiving yards in four of the last five seasons, and he has never played with a truly prolific passer. I like Justin Fields, but he has never averaged even 200 passing yards per game. And I believe some of the quarterbacks that DJ Moore played with uh, extensively when he was in Carolina, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen. Uh, I think there might have been a, a washed up uh, Cam Newton season in there somewhere. Yeah, like it was pretty gross. And yet Moore just keeps producing. The only guy who killed him, strangely enough, was Baker Mayfield. Like that was the only guy he couldn't produce with. For some reason, he and Baker just could not get on the same page in Carolina. But this past season, Moore had a 28.5% target share, which is the sort of thing we crave as fantasy managers. And he accounted for 39.9% of the Bears receiving yardage, just a tick under 40%, which is absolutely insane. I think it's very likely the Bears do draft Caleb Williams. I'm like, 95% sure they do that and and deal fields. And Caleb is likely going to be the best passer that DJ Moore will have ever played with. So I, I think he's a mid-range wide receiver one for me in 2024 drafts. He finished uh, wide receiver seven uh, with Justin Fields, right below Puka Nakua and ahead of Keenan Allen, Debo Samuel. And, and by the way, John, it, it wasn't Justin Fields all year. We He played right. with Tyson Bajant for, what, four or five games, and Bajant was not very good as a passer, and Moore's <laughs> numbers fell off a little bit during that run. Yeah, you mentioned Baker Mayfield in that season. That brought up some painful memories because I was uh, certainly touting Moore uh, getting competent quarterback play from Baker, and they, those two could not get it together. And Mike Evans had the season that I thought, DJ Moore was going to have with Carolina when Baker came in. Now Evans is thriving with Baker in Tampa. It's just funny how certain quarterback receiver pairings sometimes can't get on the same page. Uh, I like it though. Uh, he was wide receiver seven last year or 2023 and we know he's talented and he's should get an upgrade at quarterback. I think anytime though, you have a change at quarterback, it does add a level of uncertainty and we do, I think that Caleb Williams will be really good. You mentioned that he should be the best passer that DJ Moore has ever seen. Uh, but it is a little bit different than perhaps uh, the relationship that Jared Goff has with Amon Rossi Brown or uh, Jalen Hurts has with AJ Brown or uh, Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, although Keenan Allen's getting a little old. Uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Like, so there's going to be some of these relationships that we're going to have to make a tough decision on. Do we roll the dice on DJ Moore? over some of these players who maybe he outscored last year in a weird year with a quarterback for him. But, you know, do we want to rely on 
that versus Burrow Chase or uh, maybe Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, uh, or something like that. So that's those will be some interesting questions, I think, heading into the summer and the and the and the and August and the deep into the uh, draft season. And with that, we wrap up the five things that Pat learned in 2023. Now a word from our sponsor. It's mid-January, folks, and I don't know how your New Year's resolutions are holding up. Mine are eh, but that's where Factor Meals comes in. Skip the grocery stores, meal prep, cleanup. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your doorstep. This week, I have my eye on the queso fundido with cilantro cauliflower rice. I can still satisfy my cheesy Mexican cravings with gooey queso, savory ground beef, and tender cilantro cauliflower rice. It's all still healthy and nutrition-packed. Another great thing about Factor is it's flexible, which is great for busy families. Change up your order each week with plans from 4 to 18 meals, and you can even pause and reschedule. To get started, head to factormeals.com slash mostaccurate50. Use code mostaccurate50 to get 50% off. That's code mostaccurate50 at factormeals.com slash mostaccurate50 to get 50% off today. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. And now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesars pretzel stuffed crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesars convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Pizza, pizza. And we're back. If you do not want to hear a deep dive on the 2023 Packers, turn off the podcast now. You're free to go. Class dismissed. Pat, what do you think of Jordan Love? Oh, well, I'm pretty excited, John. I mean, ultimately, I think the Packers season was all along going to be less about how whether they could even make the playoffs, uh, let alone how far they could advance. Then it was about just getting validation on the idea that Jordan Love was going to be their quarterback of the future. And I, I think um, Jordan Love passed every test with flying colors. Um, and like we did, maybe we were a little bit unsure about halfway into the regular season because over his first nine starts, Love was averaging 223.2 passing yards per game, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. 58.7% completion rate and 6.7 yards per target. Pretty, you know, mediocre average to below average numbers. Over his last eight starts in the regular season, 268.8 passing yards a game, 18 touchdowns, one interception, 70.3% was his completion percentage and 7.7 yards per attempt. Uh, and then, of course, he went out and just completely dissected the Dallas Cowboys in that game and, uh, you know, like played 
fairly well against the the 49ers. I mean, he was adequate, I think, in, in that game. So, yeah, really excited about him going forward. And especially considering that, like, I don't know, it, it's not like the Packers have below average pass catchers, but it's such an ensemble cast. I don't think he has a star in that group, at least not yet. I think Jaden Reed could be a star. I think maybe Christian Watson might even have star potential and Romeo Dobbs is very underrated, but um, to go out and do that with none of his primary pass catchers having more than one year of NFL experience coming into 2023 is beyond impressive. You mentioned the uh, first half, second half numbers. If I would have told you at the start of the season that Jordan Love was going to throw for 4,100 yards, 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 64% completion percentage, 7.2 yards per attempt. I think you would have taken that, uh, right? (laughs) Uh, I, I will, I think I came in hoping that we got a good look at him and decided that he was going to be the guy, or at least we know one way or the other. And I think mid midway through the season, I guess it wasn't midway. It was game game five. I attended that Raiders game in Las Vegas uh, I would say that it has to be his worst game of the year. Uh, 182 yards passing, three interceptions. He did throw for 6.1 yards per attempt, but most of that came to that one long pass to Christian Watson, I believe. A couple of interception decisions were so bad. Uh, watching it live, I didn't. I was like, what is this guy thinking? I left that game going, oh, God, I don't think Love's the guy, but we got to give him the rest of the year to see if he can turn it around. I don't know if Matt LaFleur can coach. Um, it was just a disaster on all fronts against the Raiders, and I spent a lot of money to go sit that sit there and watch that in person. I don't know that I should go to games. I think they're o. I think the Packers are now o and four. My last uh, four games that I've attended, so I'm going to probably take a break. They're they're playing the Rams this year in L.A. So Amy, my wife, wants to go to that game. I'm like, I don't know if it's a good idea. <laughs> um, so I think by mid-season, you know, the Pittsburgh game was kind of. 289, two touchdowns, two interceptions. They end up losing that one. Uh, they start to put together some wins against the Chargers. That game against the the Lions was incredible. 268 and three uh, in that game for for Love. 267 and three against a pretty good Kansas City defense the following week. And at that point, I'm thinking, wow, like we he's turned things around. Let's see if we can continue this for the rest of the season. He did continue his good play for the rest of the season, but the team itself. Losing at Giants to Tommy DeVito, losing at home to the Buccaneers by 14. Like we at this point, Pat, I think we were both wondering what what is this team? How do you go from beating Detroit and Kansas City and then losing to the Giants and the Bucks and then giving up 30 points to the Panthers? It's like the worst offense in the league. Uh, they closed it with with a uh, five wins, Carolina. Uh, Minnesota, or actually they lost to the, oh no, they closed the season with four wins and then the loss to the, to the 49ers. They got the three wins at the end of the regular season, then the win against the Dallas, and then they lost to the uh, 49ers. I was looking at the game log here and I was didn't realize that they had the uh, playoff games here at the top. But wins against Carolina at Minnesota, huge win, helped by that poor quarterback decision uh, in terms of starting, Jay, uh, was it Jalen Hall? Jaron Hall. Jaron yeah. Hall. Uh, and then, uh, of course, being the Bears, uh, 17 and nine, kind of a grinder at home, which we knew the Bears were going to show up for that one. Uh, I leave this 
thinking, yes, Jordan Love is the guy, feeling good about that. Also, you wonder about those midseason, early season struggles. How much of that is on him versus how much of that is on that really inexperienced receiving core? How many mistakes were made that we didn't know about in terms of, oh, that looks like a terrible throw, but the the, the receiver ran the wrong route or he and Love weren't on the same page and Love looks terrible, but maybe it was the receiver's fault. We don't know. Things really started to click mid-season, late season. Uh, the 49er game, you know, obviously I think he would love to have that last throwback. I'm sure he'd love to have that tipped ball interception back. That was a, an inaccurate throw. Tough conditions in the rain. Uh, good defense with the 49ers. That was a game that stung a little bit because I think we were the better team that night. We being the Packers, the Royal we. Uh, not getting the uh, not getting the win. Uh, I think they actually, you know, had they won that game, had a real good shot at the Super Bowl playing at Detroit. We just beat them on Thanksgiving. And then who knows what happens in the Super Bowl. What an amazing season that would have been on Love's first year starting. But even so, the fact that they were, we were even in that position leading in the fourth quarter against the 49ers, the best team in the NFC, with a chance to win that game uh, in Love's first season, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and um, like this is going to be salt in the wound if there are any Bears or forty nine or Bears or Vikings fans who haven't checked out already. But I mean, I think they were um, thinking the Packers were headed into a long, dark, cold Game of Thrones type winter uh, where they were going to be in a, a long rebuild and uh, maybe they were going to kick us around for a while. And um, well. Not only did they make the playoffs, but they knocked off the number two seed in the NFC and came within a whisker of knocking off the number one seed and going to the NFC championship game. So maybe it's not going to be that long a rebuild after all, John. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the kind of um, horrifying swing where they let Tommy DeVito uh, (laughs) run and throw all over them. And then Baker Mayfield was the first visiting quarterback to ever have a perfect passer rating in Lambeau Field. And then um, Bryce Young, who couldn't throw for 200 yards against anyone else, almost threw for 300 against the Packers. So I I wondered if maybe like the late season resurgence with the good showings against the Vikings and Bears and, um, you know, up until garbage time, the Cowboys and even a pretty good game against the 49ers offense might save Joe Barry's job. But um, as we found out yesterday, that was not going to be the case. So now, um, which, which is good. I mean, we as poorly as that defense played against the Giants, Buccaneers, and Panthers. Like, you just can't have that when Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, has poured so much draft capital into that side of the ball. It's just the personnel is too good for the defense to play that shabbily. Yeah, in the same in the same day, we, we got uh, the news that Joe Barry was let go, and we signed a kicker, a uh, free agent kicker. So... We will did see we? how that. I, yeah. I missed that, John. Who did? Who did they sign? I somehow I did not see that. I didn't mention his name because I've forgotten it. It slipped my mind. It's a Georgia kicker. Pod, uh, P-O-D, I believe it starts with. Um, okay. Packers sign kicker. Jack, yeah, P-O-D. Pulled up. Pull, 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 oh man. <laughs> P-O-D-L-E-S-N-Y. Oh, you were getting me excited. Pulesny. I thought we sent. Podlesny. Podlesny. Yeah, there you go. 
you're better with the names than I am. Georgia kicker, Dang. former was, former Georgia kicker. You got me Austin excited. Jeff. I thought we were signing Rodrigo Blankenship, the bespectacled Rodrigo Blankenship. He would. Yeah, he's out there, right? That. Why wouldn't we? I think we should so. bring in ten kickers. Have a have a reality show to find <laughs> our next kicker. I have to ask Jen Eakins about uh, about this guy, about it's, this guy named Jack. It's funny because my wife uh, was joking about like, does does Carlson have a first name or because listening to you, you would think his first name is bleeping. <laughs> uh, yeah, Carlson, uh, that was an experiment that we knew probably was going to bite us at some point. Like he has a big leg. He had it. He had a, a really good game kicking. and I forget which game it was. He came up big in one of the wins. Um, I don't know if it was Detroit or Kansas City. I have to look back at some of the clutch kicks that he did make. Um, but just really shaky on extra points, not making 40-yard field goals. And that's not something – I mean, I think we're used to Mason Crosby pretty much knocking in everything under 45 yards at a really, really high rate. And then if it gets over 45 yards, we're praying because his leg is just not there anymore. Um so I'm really interested to see what they do with, with Anders Carlson and the kicking position because that definitely came back to bite us against the uh, 49ers. Yeah, with Crosby, you felt good as long as you were inside the 30-yard line and your drive stalled out. With uh, <laughs> Carlson, you pretty much had to be inside the 20-yard line for me to feel decent about his chances. So I can, yeah. I did feel like uh, even on the 50-yarders that he had the leg. It's just a matter of the scattershot sort of accuracy. And, uh, you know, I like the fact – I mean, he's brothers with Daniel Carlson, right? Right. So I figured yeah. if he was just 80% of Daniel Carlson, he'd be okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the receiving core uh, has gone from a huge question mark to an area of spectacular depth, I would say. Uh, barely had Christian Watson healthy this season. He was – I believe ranked first by virtually every fantasy analyst uh, in terms of fantasy scoring, since he has such upside that he displayed as a rookie uh, could not stay healthy. They're sending him to, I, I saw a report they're sending him to university of Wisconsin, Madison uh, to get his hamstring studied to try to figure out why are we constantly pulling our hamstring? But this is a guy who runs a four, three, one 40 and is when he's healthy and good, he's the fastest player on the field. <laughs> Uh, and nobody can keep up with him. Uh, his side speed speed score is insane. So if they can figure out that hamstring, and we've got him, you know, he's not going to necessarily be a thousand yard receiver every year or anything like that. But he's a, a field tilter. Uh, he can be used to open up all these other guys who run better routes uh, and are productive across the middle. Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Romeo Dobbs, uh, Bo Melton. Uh, had some, I, I mean, it, it was like they needed wins and they had a series of injuries at the receiver position. They only had three or four of these guys healthy in any given game. And they all had step up games where without them, we probably don't win. Did you mention Malik Heath too? Who had, I, I, um, I did not mention Malik Heath. I think he had more receiving yards at old miss in Jonathan Mingo's last season, uh, than Mingo had. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's really an impressive cast. And by the way, I don't know if you saw that the Packers fired their strength and conditioning coach and a friend texted me and said, someone had to pay the price for 
Christian Watson's hamstrings and it wasn't going to be Gutekunst. So that was the scapegoat, I guess. Um, yeah, like that's the the funny thing is for fantasy, John, like all these guys, I, I almost worry that these guys are all going to be traps because it is such an ensemble cast that if they all stay healthy, like when are you going to start any of these guys and feel completely comfortable? Like Jaden Reed is fantastic. I, I love him as a player. I'm excited that the Packers have him, but um, you know, they, they beat Dallas without Jaden Reed catching a pass. Like they, they destroyed. <laughs> I don't even know if Jaden Reed had a target in that game. He did have a target guys. or two. Oh, he did uh, have, he had, okay. Yeah. They threw it to him around the goal line, I believe, and bounced off his hands. It was not a great, great, accurate pass by love, but yeah, they did target him at least once. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got the two tight ends and, and we uh, brushed on that earlier. Like, I think I've got them ranked tight end 19 and tight end 24. Cause it's just hard to put any of that. Like I, as much as I like the talent of both, um, they might sort of cap each other's ceilings for fantasy. Um, and I, I think that might be the thing with the wide receiver too. Like Bo Melton looks like he was quite a find at the end of the season. Don Tavian Wicks, who is like the fourth receiver, Melton is the five. Like this is just, it, it's going to be annoying because I can see Jordan Love continue to spread the ball around. And if you're a Packers fan, it's great that you have so many good guys and a single injury would not really hurt you that much. But from a fantasy perspective, it's going to be pretty maddening. It is great depth. Uh, this might be a year where it's you're drafting the Packers receivers in best ball. They're better in best ball. So, you know, the, project, the, the production is going to be there. You just don't know when, so you don't want to worry about it. Best ball. <laughs> better yeah, exactly. in best ball. Uh, let's talk about Aaron Jones a bit. Um, I would say, other than Love's improved play in the second half of the season, Jones is eruption uh it also sort of fueled by aj dillon not being available but they had no choice but to feed aaron jones and he delivered like he is he showed why i had him ranked pretty high this year i was targeting him he's he had been pretty durable in his career he had a really bad year with injuries but came back at the right time and just blew up yeah, um, fantastic player, and and that was it. He just had pretty bad injury luck this year. Like the, he's had some injuries over the course of his career, but nothing all that serious that kept him out that long. And they just couldn't get him on the field this year. So, um, you know, he's he's approaching that age where maybe we start to worry about a performance decline. But boy, based on what we saw down the stretch. Um, really, he gave us no reasons to be immediately concerned about that. So, um, yeah, like I'll, I'll be eager to invest if people just based on the numbers are fading him in 2024. It'll be interesting to see where he's going. Uh, if he's a fifth rounder type, because people are afraid of the age and injury. Cause if at that point, I think he's worth it, worth a look. Uh, certainly I think fourth, third round is a little bit, a little bit dicier given his, Number of games he missed last year and his age. He's now 30 years old, so he's on the wrong side. Do people, you know, fade him completely? It's hard to forget what he did. Uh, 127 yards against Carolina, 120 yards rushing against Minnesota, 111 against Chicago, two more good games against the uh, uh, Cowboys and the 49ers. Just really tore it up down the stretch, showed uh, his production and his efficiency on a per-touch basis. 4.62 yards per carry in, in a season where he was – dinged up, missed two games, came back for a game, missed two more or missed another game. 
played five games, got injured, missed three games, came back. Like he's just in and out of the lineup. Uh, that they really leaned on him at the end, and you could see the explosion uh, that he had in that fifty-something yard run, which I thought was going to seal the game for the Packers. Once he tilted the field, shifted it, uh, I thought that was going to be the the backbreaker um, against the 49ers, but it did not happen. Yeah, unfortunately, he uh, he did not have the Devon A. Chan long speed to uh, house that one and and put the game away, but. Um... Man, yeah, like if if he does wind up in the fifth round, John, that is one hell of a dead zone running back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already feeling good about, yeah, the RB dead zone. I'm already feeling good about it if Aaron Jones is one of the guys in that range. And I think he might because he was kind of a fourth rounder last year, uh, maybe third rounder, but more, I think more of a fourth rounder. I forget. Uh, I think he's going to end up in the fifth. Uh, given the new blood of the position, uh, et cetera. And then his season, which was just sort of injury riddled. So is he able to stay healthy is the big question for him. But when he's on the, when he's on the field, he should be good. The, the, the other issue with him, I think from a fantasy standpoint, is they're not that interested in feeding him in the middle of the season uh, unless they act, absolutely have to. I mean, they, they would like to split touches for this reason. They want to keep him healthy for the, for the stretch run. I don't know if Dylan will be back. Um, but I think they would probably like to lighten Aaron Jones's role uh, and his load if uh, if we were just talking about a week nine game against the Rams or whatever. Yeah, they'll probably try to find him some sort of platoon partner in the draft. And um, it, maybe the one unfortunate thing from the Packers perspective is like they don't need any wide receivers and it is a great wide receiver class coming in and. Uh, they do need a running back, and it is not really a great running back class coming in. And they might use Emmanuel Wilson in that role. They seem to like him, so that's something to keep an eye on. Is possibly the RB two? Uh, if if Dylan is Dylan a free agent, I believe he is. Yes. So he might be moving on. We'll see. Uh, just uh, I guess we kind of talked talked about just about everything, but with Joe Barry uh, being let go, do you have any? Uh, defensive coordinators that you would really like to see uh, hired by Matt LaFour? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see uh, Averro from the Panthers, but I don't know if they are allowed to hire him if it's just a lateral move. Um, like, I think he'd be under contract because I, I think LaFleur actually chose Joe Barry over Averro, which kind of hurts a little bit to think about because, you know, now Averro is getting head coaching interviews. Maybe if we were able to make him defensive coordinator, assistant head coach, and give him that designation, that would be a, a way to weasel around the rules on that. Um, so, I mean, he'd probably be my number one choice, but if we decided to keep it sort of in the family, I mean, Jim Leonard, who was a very successful defensive coordinator for the University of Wisconsin after playing as a walk-on at Wisconsin and then having a very successful career with what uh, Jets and Ravens, I want to say he played for. Um, and Al Harris, the Cowboys defensive coordinator, um, I, I know some friends of mine who are Packers fans worry about like, uh, you know, while we saw the Dallas defense collapse against the Packers, do we really want someone associated? But he's not the coordinator. He was the defensive backs coach. And I don't know if necessarily he would um, bring all of uh, Quinn's philosophies along with him. But obviously Al Harris was a really great Packer and had that famous uh pick six against Matt Hasselbeck in the playoffs. So uh, everyone has fond memories of Al Harris. 
Um, those are just three guys off the top of my head that I'd be pretty satisfied with. Uh, anyone I didn't mention that you might like, John? I don't know if I, I don't think it's going to be Wink. Um, Wink Martindale. I know people have talked about him, but it just seems like he almost went rogue on Brian Dable at the end, according to some of the reports. And I don't know if Matt LaFleur would want to hire someone like that who might challenge his authority. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see on that. Yeah. I, w- I was asking you because you, you're probably more have, have your finger on the pulse of the actual defensive coordinator market right now than I do. Uh, I, I saw that Vic Fangio was uh, available, but it looks like he's going to straight to Philly because he's, he's a Pennsylvania guy. I thought he would be a, like somebody like that who's got a proven track record would be great or some upstart really bright great reputation guy from the college ranks somebody who's doing inventive things um i feel like they do have to stick with the three four with rashawn gary as kind of the major you know the main pass rush but maybe not um he's turned out to be a phenomenal player uh we did get good pass rush all year uh, not all year, but most of the year, um, just had some holes and just some lackluster performances. Uh, you know, I, the aforementioned Giants, Bucks, Panthers. I think that's what kind of cost Barry his job when it came down to it. Like, you can't have defensive performances like that. Um, you know, maybe the Packers are playing at home if if they win two or three of those games. You know, or they they won the they won the Panther game, but if they could win those two games uh, against the Bucks and the uh, the Giants, maybe they have a home game instead of. Maybe they're winning the division. So, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, we'll see who our kicker is. Uh, but I think we've pretty much summed up the the offseason or the, the season for the Packers. And, you know, we're looking forward to a very uh, interesting, uh, optimistic, I would say, offseason. More optimistic than last year, heading into a very uncertain season with uh, Jordan Love as the starter. Now we know we have our guy. I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But the fact that I can say that, I think it's a... A huge win, Pat. Yeah, it's it's funny, John. Like someone, uh, a friend of mine was like, why don't more teams follow that Packers blueprint where they let a guy sit for a year or even two? And it's like, well, most most teams that are drafting quarterbacks in the first round are doing it because their quarterback situation sucks. And there's no way the fans would have patience for grooming a guy for like multiple years. The Packers were just under the rare circumstances where they had a Hall of Fame quarterback in place and like Rogers, the inexplicable slide in the draft into the twenties when some people thought he might go number one. And then, uh, you know, the Jordan love draft pick, which I, I know I hated at the time, John, I, I don't know if you were crazy about it either. So it was just kind of unusual circumstances there. It worked out really well, but, um, John, like the one nice thing about this Packer season, we went into the season, or at least I did without, um, feeling as a fan, the burden of great expectations. It was just like we didn't know what this season was going to be a mixed mystery box. And it was nice to just not expect or, um, you know, think that we were going to be like a strong Super Bowl contender and anything short of that was going to be a disappointment. Like I just kind of wanted to have the successful Jordan Love season to know that the the compass was pointed in the right direction. Uh, And unfortunately, now we're going to have the burden of great expectations again next year. So we we had our one year off and now we're. you know, back to expecting titles that might never come. Yeah, I sent you uh, the uh, odds for Super Bowl, uh, for the next Super Bowl, 2020, 2025 Super Bowl. Uh, I think it's 22 to 1 Packers to win it. 
love it tenth or eleventh longest or uh, shortest odds to to win. Uh, it was interesting to me. I think that that you know, given their performance against the 49ers, they should be a little bit, you know, the odds should be a little shorter than that. But we'll see. Uh, and I think you look at the season as a whole. The Rogers' first season, they were six and ten. Jordan Love went nine and eight. Uh, Rogers last year as the starter was unable to beat the Lions at home uh, to to make the playoffs last year, as we both remember. Love was able to beat the Bears uh, at home to make the playoffs this year. Not saying Love's going to reach Rogers' levels, but the the future is bright. the The initial reports are good. We had some definitely had some ups and downs. But you know the receiving core changed quite a bit, but the rest of the team was largely the same as as the team that lost to the Lions last year at home. And I think maybe Rogers' affinity for the veteran receivers that aren't necessarily as good or as productive as these rookies we have now, or these second year players that we have now, and his uh, you know focusing so much on Devonte Adams, whereas Love's able to just let the play run out and throw it to the open guy not to worry about feeding ego or getting a certain player, a certain number of targets. I mean, Devontae's great. We'd love to have him back, but you know, there's a, there's a downside with having a guy who commands 10, 12, 14 targets per game. So just really optimistic heading into this year. And I think the early returns are great. Um, anything else you'd like to talk about with regard to the Packers? I think that's about it, John. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it's nice to feel this good about, um, how we're going to go in next season. And it's going to be really interesting next year with the lions still, obviously um, like entering their championship window. Um, maybe we're approaching our championship window and maybe the bears are going to be there soon. If Caleb Williams is as good as a lot of people think he's going to be. So, uh, and for the Vikings, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Vikings, uh, Kirk cousins, uh, We'll see when if he comes back and they've got an issue of quarterback if they don't have him, but they've got a lot of talent, uh, especially in that offense. So and a pretty good offensive mind at, at head coach there. So I think the NFC North is gonna be really competitive uh for the next five or ten years. Definitely. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Pat, for coming on. These were the five things that Pat learned this year. Uh waiting on the quarterback, uh tight end position has depth, the Falcons, assumption of rational coaching. Draft capital doesn't matter with Sean McVay and DJ Moore. Draft him next year. He's going to be good, especially if the the Bears draft Caleb Williams. Uh, for Pat, uh, which who you can find his work at fantasypros.com. I'm John Paulson. I'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.